Net Zero Business Podcast is brought to you in association with ED's Sustainable Business Covered Podcast, and it's the only place where corporate sustainability and energy professionals can get under the skin of the world's most ambitious emissions reductions target. So welcome and enjoy the journey to a net zero future. And welcome along to ED's Net Zero Business Podcast, our monthly podcast series focusing on the mounting need for organisations, regardless of size or sector, to develop credible net zero emissions goals and supporting strategies. I'm ED's senior reporter, Sarah George, and I'm delighted to be bringing you this episode, which is actually going to be our last Net Zero Business Podcast of the year. And this episode is kindly being supported by our headline partner, EDF Energy. We've been hosting this podcast series since early 2020 and at that point a lot of organisations were attempting to get ahead of the policy curve, strengthening their carbon and energy strategies and pledging to reach net zero well before the UK's 2050 deadline, which was legislated for in 2019. The net zero discussion has only become broader and evolved more quickly in the months that have followed. Net Zero Tracker recently published its post-COP26 stocktake revealing that targets from nations, cities and regions now cover more than 90% of GDP and 88% of global annual emissions. So in this context, it's valuable to speak to the people working behind the scenes to develop and implement those all-important net-zero strategies, whether in the public or the private sector. And that's exactly why this podcast series was created. In under 40 minutes per episode, we take a deeper dive into the decarbonisation strategy of a particular guest business. For this month, it's the turn of international food and beverage firm Prince's Group, which you might know through its own brands like Napolina, Branston and Cross and Blackwell. The company this year announced an ambition to reach carbon neutrality for its global operations by 2030 with the minimal use of offsetting. So in today's episode, we're speaking with Prince's Group's Corporate Relations Director, David McDermott, to hear a little bit more about how that vision will be realised and how the business plans to extend it to the supply chain in the coming years. David and I had a great discussion earlier this week covering everything from packaging and eco-labels to supplier engagement, so without further ado, let's play that talk in full. Well, hello David, it's a delight to have you um, on the podcast today, this very chilly day, as you said. Yeah, hi Sarah, great to be here, thank you. It's a little cold. Yeah, same. Um, but we won't be rushing through it. We'll be sitting here and warming up, warming up while we're chatting, I hope. Um, so a delight to have you on what will be our last Net Zero Business podcast of um, 2021 um, to look in a bit more depth at Prince's updated sustainability goals. So I covered this when they were updated um, earlier this year. Um, I believe there's a new target for carbon neutrality across all UK and international operations by 2030. Um, So it would be great to hear about what's been happening um, in the first instance and what what the next steps are on that journey. 
Sure, no problem. Happy to go through that. So we've we've made a made a commitment in terms of carbon neutral across, as you say, our operations. So all of our all of our factories, UK, Italy, Mauritius. And really, this is kind of the first step for us in terms of a of a true net zero carbon business across our entire supply chain, which will come in due course. But the start point for us is carbon neutrality across all of our operations. So we've made that commitment. And where we're at at the moment is is working through all the plans to, to put that into play. So every single site that we've got, um, as I speak, is pulling together updated plans to help us uh, achieve this. So our larger sites have already had uh, comprehensive audits uh, ahead of us making the commitment, but we've extended this out to all sites that we've got. And these will inform the individual work plans for, well, for the next nine years, but certainly detailed work plans for the next couple of years. And critically, the capital expenditure that we will need to put into these sites in order to reduce our carbon footprint. So that's where we're, we're busy at the moment in terms of all of these plans. Uh, which we hope to have all finalised by the end of the calendar year uh, and then look to start to implement them next year. Great. And I understand, obviously, that the business isn't starting from zero. I've seen from those goals that there's been a reduction of of emissions from operations by 23% since the 2014-15 financial year. So what, what have you guys been up to so far? Yeah, well, yeah, you're absolutely right. This isn't this isn't new. I guess what's new is is putting more of a marker in the ground in terms of getting mm-hmm. us to to carbon neutrality. So we have been busy on this for a number of years. We've certainly been measuring and targeting emissions for for a very long time, at least 15 to 20 years. I can't quite remember exactly, but it's been ongoing for some period of time. So um, during that time, um, there's been a, a huge number of things that have happened across. Uh, all sites. There are certain things that are that is common across every site. So, for example, several years ago, all lighting was replaced with LED, which obviously is fairly standard. Um, but also, certain sites will have had particular focus areas uh, because of issues they may have had or old equipment that needed replacing. So, for example, we've um, installed at our Wisbeach site a combined heat and power plant. So that makes great use of uh, of our exhaust um, heat and steam and repurposing that. Um, and then also, for example, at our, our Long Sutton site in Lincolnshire, uh, it's got PV panels on the roof that have helped us reduce our energy our energy use. So there's lots of things that have been happening, um, and we've obviously been tracking that and recording the reductions. But this one is a little bit different. Rather than recording from a baseline year looking back, it's now trying to look forward and get ourselves to being neutral by the end of the decade. Great, a nice overview there, there, David. And I'm sure a lot of people will resonate with yeah, different sites and different kinds of um, kinds of site will need different kinds of approaches depending on on their very specific context. Um, I wanted to come back to something you mentioned that the carbon neutrality goal is essentially a milestone on the road to net zero. Um, so something I like to ask people on this podcast series is how the company is differentiating between those two two terms because I'm aware there's a lot of climate jargon out there at the moment. Yeah there is indeed and we're we're very mindful of that in my role as well as sustainability I also have responsibility for communications so I take it very seriously in terms of trying to make sure that we we use words accurately and so uh, what we do is we effectively follow the carbon trust guidance here in terms of trying to be careful and accurate about our language and I take your point, we're very much aware there is a lot of, of greenwashing out there and we categorically do not want to be part of that, or certainly not intentionally. So in terms of, of carbon and as opposed to, to net zero, we are saying carbon neutral as we're effectively talking about. 
what is broadly scope one and scope two emissions, our factories, our operations and sphere of influence. But as I said before, this is a this is a journey for us. This is step one, really. We are going to make a, a public commitment and commit to a target in terms of net zero science-based targets at 1.5 degrees for our entire value chain. Uh, we haven't done it yet, but we will do, uh, I believe, at some point in the first half of next year. There's a lot of details still to be worked through. There's a lot of learning to be done for myself and, and other colleagues as well. Um, and obviously a lot of conversations going on both with our customers about this because they're making commitments that we're part of and also talking to organisations like the Food and Drink Federation and other collaborative organisations to see how we can work as an industry to get there. So yes, we're being very careful, carbon neutral in terms of our sites at the moment, but we will be making a commitment in terms of, of net zero and SBTs. It looks like we're talking at an exciting time for you guys. Then, and obviously suppliers super important. I have covered in the past a couple of stories about Prince's working with suppliers on things like um, traceability and social sustainability and and low packaging. So will it will it be a case of maybe applying some of those learnings on on low carbon? Um, yes, it will be. Suppliers are very much going to be part of this. There's there's um, we're actually launching something in the next uh, next couple of months. Uh, for, for a certain number of suppliers, for some of our larger, what we call traded suppliers, they're suppliers of finished goods, because while we manufacture a huge amount, we don't manufacture absolutely everything that we sell. So some canned products, for example, comes from various corners of the world and they're not always our factory. So those sort of suppliers are going to be brought into scope on this. Um, so we'll be looking to get hold of all of the data for these sites that we would have as a matter of routine for our own and increasingly see the responsibility that we need to treat these sites as our own. But it will be it will be challenging on this. We will be dealing with, with suppliers in countries that are a different legislative state, that have a different cultural uh, mindset, perhaps, to where we're at. Um, but hopefully we can we can bring them with us on this journey because this is obviously a you know a global issue. And uh, you know, as a global company, we've got to work with suppliers to try and uh, measure, monitor, but also then improve. So yes, there's a lot of outreach that will that will take place with suppliers um, over the the years to come as part of that wider uh, net zero commitment. But again, we will we will play our own part in that, particularly where we have unique supply chains. But referring back to my point before about customers and trade bodies, the reality is that in the in the food industry, so many supply chains are shared. So mm. we will have supply chains that our, cust our customers use themselves, that our competitors use as well. And so we just need to get better as an industry in, in collaborating how we can all work together to get one set of data, for example, rather than five or ten of us all asking similar but not quite the same questions. I've definitely been seeing a lot of collaboration this year, like you mentioned, the Food and Drink Federation, but then equally like some of the retail customers will be signed up to um, British Retail Consortium. So it does seem like collaboration is, well, it's been a buzzword and like the word of the season since I've been at ED um, nearly four years, but it does feel like it's really moving into to action now, much more case studies of, of collaboration. Yeah, totally agree with that. Um, we've, we've seen it. So we've probably seen it, I would suggest, uh, most commonly historically in areas like tuna sustainability, whether that's individual action from brands and companies like us or whether that's that's kind of more political advocacy with ourselves and competitors and, and retailers. Um, so we see it in a lot in areas like uh, like tuna and also in human rights, huge area where um, where that recognition of uh, of a of a global issue or, or you know a particular issue in a particular country might be something that affects 
hundreds or you know or at least dozens of supply chains so it's a well uh, a well trodden path in terms of, of collaboration but i think there probably has been reasonably it's been reasonably scant up until about 12 to 18 months ago in terms of of climate and scope three Mm, yeah, just hammering home that now is a really good time to be speaking about this, I guess. And um, David, I know we haven't got much longer left on our call, so I wanted to come on to, we've talked there about engaging suppliers, engaging your business customers, working with other manufacturers and other parts of the value chain. Um, but I'd love to ask about consumer engagement, because essentially Princess is a business that has a portfolio of um, public facing brands. We all see them in the supermarket every week. Um, so how is the work that we're discussing today going to be communicated with um, with the public? Well, that's that's a great question. And I don't have an answer to that one. Yet. In terms of what we're talking about specifically in terms of carbon and scope three, I think the, the honest answer is time will tell on that one. Our brands have been very busy, um, certainly in the last, I would say, two to three years, um, probably around a topic that's that's perhaps more easily communicable to consumers over things like plastics, which has really resonated and has really landed. And um, so a lot of the brands that we that we own, whether it's Princess Tuna or Napolina, have, have all ditched a lot of, of plastic that actually was recyclable, just, just difficult to recycle, moved into cars. And um, various things like our Princess brands moved into plant-based meals, and we've developed a new plant-based brand. So, so I certainly see from my role in a corporate role, I see the brands doing a lot more in terms of their, their activity and communication to consumers on sustainable topics. Um, and I've seen that come through quite strong the last two to three years. From a climate point of view, however, that's quite a, it's quite a difficult topic to communicate to consumers. Don't quite know how this will, how this will play out yet, but the one that we're watching with a, a great deal of interest is the the growth of, um, well, certainly growth in discussion at the moment of about unpack eco labels, and there's there's two or three schemes that are certainly starting to resonate and attract a great deal of attention, uh, attention within the industry, and we've got our eye on them as well, thinking how can we potentially engage here. Certainly, something like a you know a colour coded rating on a on a product is something that would be very easily communicable to consumers, so it's a very attractive proposition. From our point of view, there's there's two main considerations: is it accurately measuring all points of the of the product life from cradle to grave? Because I'm aware that some schemes tend to stop once you deliver to a customer, uh, which which for us would be delivering to a you know a, perhaps a supermarket's distribution centre. Whereas there's also the end of life and consumer use and further energy and then waste that would need to be considered. But the other point for us was being would be making sure that we were not missing other elements of sustainability that weren't actually directly linked to climate. So human rights is a big area for us. There's there's other issues such as uh, as animal welfare, for example. Both of those wouldn't necessarily be picked up on a rating of A to E from green to red in terms of carbon at the moment. These are things that will be important to individual companies and individual brands and these will still need to be considered in terms of how these are communicated but certainly uh, and generally i do see a growth in the relatively near future of more simple communications to consumers through things like on-pack eco labeling to give them a very quick kind of two second reassurance at the point of purchase in terms of the sustainability credentials of what they're buying Thank you once again to David from Prince's Group there and Edie will be keeping abreast of the company's sustainability work going forward. We usually have just the one guest speaker for these episodes, but I'm delighted to be bringing you a second speaker interview today 
with EDF Energy who are kindly sponsoring this episode. I was able to have a virtual sit-down with the company's senior business developer for Net Zero, Steve Beer. Steve has been working to deliver sustainable business solutions for more than 13 years, so he's had something of a bird's-eye view at looking at the evolving business case for low-carbon processes and technologies. So in this interview, we're delving into why so many organisations are now looking to go beyond renewable energy tariffs and how they can accelerate decarbonisation as we continue on the economic recovery from the pandemic. Here is that discussion with Steve in full. Well, a very good morning to you, Steve, and thank you for hopping on the podcast today. How how are you? Morning. Yeah, I'm very well, thank you. Very well. Thanks for having me. No, and, and thanks thanks for joining us. I appreciate it must have been busy for the whole team, really, sort of at and beyond COP26. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think it just reinforced uh, the importance of the role that we play in, in net zero and supporting our customers. Yeah, a busy time for all and hopefully mm. a relaxing Christmas for all on the horizon. Let's um, hope so. As well. So a great time to get you on net zero net zero business and and you've mentioned there that obviously COP26 has been a very busy time for yourselves but what are you noticing in how um, how your clients how the businesses you work with are sort of rethinking or accelerating their net zero approach this this year in that context? Mm, uh, well I think we're all aware by now obviously the the main objective of, of the COP series is to limit the global temperature increase to no more than 1.5 degrees Um, and obviously COP26 was delayed by a year due to COVID um, and the window is already small and closing so companies are are recognising now it's even more urgent that we take action and we we take it quickly. Um, I think promises from government need to be kept and acted upon but companies also have a great opportunity to play their part benefiting both humankind overall and their business through reducing their carbon footprint. And I think even before COP26 happened uh, and the recent resurgence in uh, net zero carbon, we were having really productive conversations that were having great value of customers supporting them with their overall net zero strategies. And it's things like the COP summits that really reinforce the need for businesses to focus on this going forwards. For sure. And something we're focusing on today is um, what, what I've got down as beyond supply options for decarbonisation. So we've seen really that a lot of businesses are um, now on a renewable electricity um, tariff, perhaps, but that's obviously not the be all and end all of a corporate um, net zero strategy. So I guess the obvious question is, are you seeing more businesses getting to that stage and, and why? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. There's definitely been an uptake in, in business interest in net zero carbon and how to achieve that. And I think if we look back historically, beyond supply solutions were seen by all but the most forward thinking organisations often as a way to combat rising energy costs. So, for example, through the installation of things like LED lighting technology um, or to increase revenues by installing their own generation assets like solar panels. And that historic bottom line um, was really enforced by the historically small number of things like battery storage projects, which have been deployed in comparison to solar, for example. And that's because the desired ROI on those projects wasn't so easily achieved. Um, But in more recent years, however, I think as climate change has become much more a mainstream topic, businesses are starting to understand that not only do solutions offer those cost benefits that they're looking for, especially as energy costs are continuing to rise at present, but there's other benefits that they can have, including the environmental and air quality improvements that can be seen, security of supply through their own generation and storage assets, and therefore the reduction of consumption demand that's placed on the national grid. 
And organizations face supply chain requirements quite often, which will require evidence of a move to net zero carbon. And it's fairly standard nowadays, as you mentioned previously, for a procurement process to require the energy that the business consumes to be from a renewable or other zero carbon source. And with a finite amount of that available at present, improving your own energy efficiency and installing generation assets can help to evidence that the business is really taking its obligation seriously. And the lack of a robust zero carbon strategy and the actions that have been taken so far could potentially lead to the loss of business contracts or, or even clients if businesses aren't keeping up. And Furthermore, and certainly more recently, what we've witnessed is the general public increasingly challenging companies to both act on and evidence what their decarbonisation plans are. So reputationally for a business, there's a lot at stake too. And I think really it's how do they achieve this? And there's some simple ways that you can go about reducing an organization's carbon footprint. And you know, there's some very complex ways as well. But the, the first steps that most organizations tend to look at are electric vehicles, um, solar PV and power purchase agreements that go with them or often referred to as PPAs. Um, examples are they could replace their existing petrol and diesel vehicle fleets um, with electric cars and van equivalents. Um, and often we see companies in offering employee sal salary sacrifice schemes as well um, from a number of leasing companies that are, are out there. Um, and whilst it is recognised that the initial purchase price of an EV is higher than a traditional internal combustion engine vehicle, the total cost of ownership of an EV is significantly lower, especially when you take into consideration the reduced servicing needs and the high cost of petrol and diesel that, that currently have to be taken into account. Solar PV projects could be ground or roof mounted. So there's plenty of options there, depending on the building and the site that's available to, to deploy the asset on. And these offer good rates of return, which enable businesses to generate their own energy, which is often used on site, uh, which reduces the impact of the grid demand, or it can be fed back into the grid through a PPA like those available from EDF. Um, and finally, I think furthermore, we, we've really seen a rise in the number of businesses engaging with us about carbon offsetting. And this is where EDF's trading team will assist the customer to purchase carbon credits from recognized global projects. And what these do is these mitigate the remainder of the carbon footprint, which is currently unavoidable. And carbon credits really should be seen as that short to medium term measure, which is for the remainder of the business's footprint once the other energy efficiency measures are taken. So once you've you've reduced the amount of energy that you're consuming or you've got generation assets on site and you use them whilst you look to implement those long term solutions, which will, you go forward with. Thanks, Stephen. I think that's a good overview of some of the things that, as you say, are definitely more mature and have higher uptake now, not just because of mainstream discussion, but because of technology costs falling and enabling policy. Mm -hmm. um, and you mentioned some of those things that are available, but there, there are some things that I think that are beyond supply that are still um, that are still scaling up. So you mentioned mm -hmm. things like batteries and, and other innovations. So could could we hear a little bit more about some of these more innovative beyond supply um, options that are on offer and there's been a lot of policy updates in in this space so perhaps as well what what sort of near-term changes you see for businesses um, looking to take them up so how those policy updates will benefit businesses looking to um, to to go for beyond supply and go all in on that. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a, a couple of recent things that, that have, have 
coming to the news, um, the first one uh, springs to mind, I think, is around, uh, and it's in the residential space, but there's similar uh, guidance being offered by local authorities uh, around the fact that every new home that's built needs to have uh, an EV charge point installed. Um, And our company, our group company, Podpoint, who are our EV experts, have been actively supporting the companies that act and operate in that home build space to really understand and plan the impact of that for some time. And as I say, many local authorities are implementing zero carbon guidance for businesses in their areas. Um, And a company like EDF has the knowledge to provide customers with guidance and support about the ever-changing landscape and how they can take advantage of those policy updates. Um, And The big one, really, that's on the horizon, and it it is still a new technology at this time, but it's one that we're heavily invested in supporting customers with, is decarbonisation of heat. It's one of the biggest challenges that customers are facing, and we're working closely in both the residential and the business space to understand customer needs and how a company like EDF can support with this. And this could be simple optimization of existing systems through our company's Breathe and Imtech. Uh, it could be retrofits of equipment, or it could be upgrading to new high efficiency decarbonized heat solutions. And through our R&D teams, there's a lot more to come in this area and around areas like hydrogen, for example. So there really is, as you say, that established core base of energy efficiency products. And then there's the new technology that we'll see coming online in the next few years. It's that the EV mandate that you mentioned actually came in literally in the last couple of days, um, Steve. So I guess it's as well just keep watching because policy is just changing so quickly yeah. um, at the moment. Absolutely. And an EDF and our group company play an active role in feeding into the government to help shape a, um, and provide input around the policies and, and give advice and, and evidence around how those updates would be both most beneficial for, for consumers. Great. Um, I think we've got a really good broad policy piece there and a look at the trends that you're seeing um, as well. But before we come to the end of of your part of this episode, Steve, I wanted to talk about um, the businesses that are listening that might be in a tight spot with funding at the moment, because while we're all getting out and about a bit more, we're not in lockdown. Mm. Um, The financial impacts of COVID-19 are are far from, from over. So how could a business that's still feeling that pinch um, choose the right beyond supply approach at this at this time because as you say some of these things um, are still very much in the future pipeline yeah it's really important that we don't forget or, or don't recognize the huge cost that is expected businesses to play in in achieving net zero it's been in the news recently um, and the first important step for businesses at any stage on their net zero journey is really to understand what you can realistically achieve um, in terms of your time scales, your capability and how you'll fund it. Um, you need to look at how your business is performing in terms of your existing energy spend uh, and your requirements and what your carbon output looks like now. Take a second to understand what actions you may have taken so far and did they achieve what you expected them to achieve? Um, what are you benchmarking those results against and how can you learn from the projects that you've done, if any, and take those learnings forward into the next project so they are as, as cost efficient and human resource efficient as they possibly can be. Um, but we recognise it can be overwhelming for general businesses whose everyday focus is not on energy efficiency and 
how do they target the right approach? So what we recommend is to take advice from their trusted partners, and that could be their energy supplier, or it could be the supplier of a particular technology that's of interest to them. So for example, LED lighting, um, and use those partners and those experts to understand what your current situation is and what the quick wins could be for your business, because each business will be at a different stage. You should speak to multiple sources, reach out to the market and understand you know, what organisations can offer. And, and organisations like the Carbon Trust also exist to provide guidance and support. And as you start to think about how you, you invest, you may have some capex available. Hopefully that's the case for, for some organisations, regardless of what size, you know, there's always something you can do. Um, you can consider whether or not actually combining a couple of different beyond supply solutions and approaches may offer you a faster return on investment. And I guess I can give you an example of, of where we've seen that directly. And that's when looking at things like improving a build, uh, building's heating and cooling system. So if you want to improve the efficiency of that, um, if you were to do that at the same time as looking at an LED project, you could reduce your initial ongoing costs. So we saw a project where uh, a company had an old lighting system that had a much higher heat output than the LED replacement that they were looking at, which meant that much less cooling was required in the building going forwards. But had they implemented the project separately and done the cooling first, for example, then we know that that would have been a waste of money for them overall because of the knock-on effect of the lower heat output of the LED. So when you're talking to those experts, understand whether or not there are a number of projects that you could you could take you know in one go. And there's a number of different options in the market for covering things like high-level assessments of your building, down to really in-depth analysis of energy, you know, your energy's performance currently, and energy performance contracts moving forwards. And some of those will guarantee a percentage saving on any projects that are delivered. So. I think do the homework, use the experts in the market, understand what could be available to you um, and consider what grants and funds are out there. So there's many different projects and, and funding types available, community funding, central government funding, private schemes, for example. And if you undertake that analysis first, those services can help you to identify what sources of funding could be available. And I think finally on, on the funding side, Maybe your capex is constrained. You don't have a big budget to spend right now, but you're already spending opex on things like fuel costs, for example. Um, and think about whether or not you could accommodate a supplier-funded project and share the savings benefit. So there are organisations that will will pay for the initial implementation of a project and share the benefit of either revenue generation or energy savings over the longer term. So it's not necessarily a case of having to find the money up front. It's about understanding what services and organisations out there can can help you. you you really do need to get the right stakeholders on board whatever project you're looking at tackling and get them on board right from the start by giving them the right information that they need to be looking for so let's take evs for example the sustain if you're the sustainability manager and you're asking the finance director to approve a fleet conversion to ev to the finance director that may seem initially quite illogical if the cost of procuring those evs and installing the charging hardware is higher than the current cost of your vehicles but have you identified and explained the benefits of the reduction in the lifetime fuel spend and maintenance costs and maybe those are figures that you don't have access to readily so look at who else you could speak to so your fleet manager for example i mean they probably welcome the opportunity to reduce their workshop bills and improve their vehicle uptime and you need to understand and quantify the cost of inaction of not doing those things both financially and remembering the bigger picture environmentally as your ice fleet will be emitting a higher carbon intensity under your scope one emissions 
and get your employees involved. Identify who in your organization are your internal champions and promoters, what drives them and use them to support you. And maybe you've got a green team in-house already. So share your vision and bring them into the mix as you engage your stakeholders. Great. Thank you, Steve. Well, that's a wealth of options there to choose from for um, our listeners. So a, a nice note to leave them with. So thank you so much for your time today for um, the Net Zero Business podcast. You're welcome. Thank you. Yes, a big thank you once more to Steve for his time. Of course, the Net Zero movement has been gathering pace far beyond the networks of EDF and of ED and of Prince's Group. So with that in mind, it's time for our Net Zero news in brief, the part of this podcast where we summarise the headlines in this space. Since the end of COP26, about two weeks ago now, there have been some big developments in the Net Zero conversation. So I'm going to pull out three top stories for you now. Firstly, as mentioned earlier, Net Zero Tracker has published its post-COP26 stocktake, providing a snapshot of target setting from businesses as well as nations, cities and regions. On the business side, the total cumulative combined global revenue covered by publicly listed companies with net zero targets now amounts to about 19.5 trillion US dollars. This figure is up almost fourfold year on year, and it represents almost 75% of total listed company revenues. But, of course, not all targets are created equal, and in the corporate space there's still clearly much work to be done, especially on reducing those all-important Scope 3 emissions. Moving on to some more specific stories, an energy giant SSE has published a £12.5 billion British pound capital investment plan for decarbonisation through to 2026. This means a 65% increase in its spending on the low carbon transition on current levels. Focus areas are going to include offshore wind and low carbon hydrogen. And thirdly, CDP and the SME Climate Hub have launched a new framework to help SMEs measure, report and reduce their climate impacts. In recent months, we've seen growing concerns that SMEs are facing some barriers to decarbonisations that perhaps don't impact larger firms as much, like a lack of in-house expertise. Well, we're just about out of time for today's Net Zero Business podcast, and I'd like to thank you all for joining me, and a big thank you once again to EDF Energy for sponsoring this episode. If you enjoyed this episode, and I hope you have, of course, you can check out the rest of our content um, from recent weeks um, on our site, ed.net. We've been running a Net Zero November campaign throughout the month of November. So as we enter December, now is a great time to catch up on all of that. As I've said before, this is the last Net Zero Business podcast for 2021, but I'm on the lookout for guests for January 2022 and beyond. So please drop me an email at newsdesk at fab-house.com. That's fab-house.com if your organisation has a great Net Zero story. We'll be back with Edie's usual long-standing sustainable business cover podcast for one more episode before Christmas in the coming weeks. Um, so make sure you don't miss out on that one. You can subscribe to the Edie podcast on SoundCloud, Spotify, Google or Apple. But until then, it's a goodbye from me. Goodbye. Goodbye.